Welcome to the Healthy Hormones for Women podcast. I'm your host, Samantha Gladish, online nutritionist, weight loss coach, and hormone fixer-upper. I'm excited to bring you a weekly dose of information and inspiration, sharing with you simple and effective strategies from health, wealth, and all things personal growth. Get ready to become the master of your hormones and experience vibrant health to live a life of more power and possibility. Welcome back, everybody. Hope you guys are doing awesome. It is getting rather cold in my parts of the world here in Toronto, and I am not a fan. Not at all. You've probably heard me complain about the cold weather over on Instagram if you're following me, and I just don't love it. However, I have made it a priority this winter to spend more time outside, and I think that's kind of the issue that a lot of people run into especially with seasonal affective disorder, they spend a lot of time inside and they're not going outdoors and they're not spending time in nature, regardless of how cold it is. I've just made that priority to really just bundle up, go outside for walks. And even if it's really super cold, just getting outside of nature and breathing in some fresh air and Hopefully the sun will be shining and it won't be so gray this winter, but that is my priority to myself. And maybe if you're listening, you want to take this on for yourself too. come join me on cold walks and step away from the work and the computer and all the technology and just ground yourself. So that's what I'm going to be doing more of this winter and also booking a trip somewhere warm for sure. All right. So today's episode, I'm really excited For our guest, Felice Gersh, we are diving into PCOS and she shares lots, lots of amazing strategies and tips for healing PCOS. We dive into root causes, how inflammation plays a role, nutritional intervention, and I think you guys are really going to love it. So before we dive into that, a few goodies to share with you. It's Black Friday and Cyber Monday that's coming up really soon. So we've got some awesome sales going on right now on our shop page. All of our supplements are currently 10% off, so you can save 10% by using the coupon code BLACKFRIDAY10, so one zero if you want any supplements. And we also now have it set up, so if you are in the U.S. and you want to get any products, you can also click on the little button for the U.S. store. And then we also have all of our eBooks on sale too. So if you've been thinking about getting your hands on some of the meal plans, like the gut healing meal plan that I have, the ketogenic plan the how to ditch birth control guide and some of the other detoxes and stuff that I have on my shop page, you can save 30% off of all of the eBooks there. So use the coupon code BLACKFRIDAY30, that's three zero, to save 30% off on that. And then the best discount of all, we put my Clean Beauty U program on sale. So if you're not familiar with that program, It's a six-week program, and basically what it does is it's guiding women through how to take care of their skin, their hair, their teeth, their body, all naturally and all holistically. So there are six modules, so one for each week, and we dive into skincare and hair care and body care and dental health and reversing cavities. And then we also look at liver detoxification and gut health and how this all plays a role in our body confidence and as well as, you know, how our external skin can be impaired by the liver and by the gut. So it's a great program if you have acne, hair that's falling out, eczema, psoriasis. You're looking for more natural solutions to just beauty care and body care in general. It's a really great program. And there's lots, lots of bonuses that you get in that program. So you get access to the six weeks, but I also interviewed some of my my nutrition besties. So Joy McCarthy, Julie Danilik, Marnie Wasserman, Jen Pike. There's a bunch of my girlfriends who I interviewed and they each dove into their own specific topic on, I think Joy dives into eczema, Jen dives into cellulite, Marnie dives into the importance of fat. So I interviewed all my girlfriends and we really 
brought some great extra information to the program and really getting their views and their strategies and tips for healing some of these certain conditions. And then you get lots of bonuses and eBooks and lots of great stuff in that program. So if you want to check it out, it's currently $200 off the original price. And you can head on over to holisticwellness.ca forward slash clean beauty you. That's the letter U, not Y-O-U. So clean beauty you and check out all the information there. If you have any questions about it, let me know. You know, you can always find me over on Instagram and let me know if you have any questions. So that is that. We wanted to offer some really great discounts for the Black Friday and Cyber Monday deals. I'm sure you're going to get bombarded with so much stuff and just choose wisely. Choose the things that are truly going to make a difference and an impact in your life and in your health and your body and your happiness as well. All right. So Felice Gersh is a rare combination of an award-winning physician, board certified both in OBGYN and in integrative medicine. Her educational background includes an undergraduate degree from Princeton University, a medical degree from the University of Southern California School of Medicine, and a two-year fellowship in integrative medicine at the University of Arizona School of Medicine. Dr. Gersh has dedicated her career to women, focusing on the aspect of women's health, which are unique, underappreciated, and poorly managed. She's the medical director of the Innovative Integrative Medical Group of Irvine, leading her team of skilled holistic practitioners. Dr. Gersh is a sought-after national and international speaker, a published writer of book chapters, and a prolific blogger. She has been featured on numerous web summits, podcasts, and radio shows, and has her own segment at Healthy Perspective, heard weekly on Los Angeles AM radio, KRLA 870. Her first book on polycystic ovarian syndrome titled PCOS SOS will be available early 2019. So let's dive into today's episode. Hi, Felice. It's wonderful to have you on the show today. Before we dive into our interview, I would love it if you can share with our audience more about you and what you do. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. I am a little bit different from the average OBGYN. I am board certified in OBGYN, but I'm also board certified in the new field of integrative medicine. So basically, I have a much larger, a very expanded therapeutic toolbox in order for me to help my patients to optimize their health and lead better and happier lives. So I incorporate all forms of lifestyle medicine, herbals. I also include things like acupuncture and massage therapy, mind-body medicine. So a whole array of therapeutic tools to help my women patients achieve the goals that they have, which is, of course, to have the happiest possible life. That's amazing. So I love that you had this medical degree, but it sounds like you incorporate so many treatments that are rarely found within the confines of conventional American medicine. And I'm just curious, like what gave you that push to incorporate a more holistic and integrative approach? Well, I always knew there was more to helping people than just giving pills and just doing surgeries. So way back in the very beginning years of my practice, I had what I called my ancillary. So I had a Chinese medicine practitioner who did Chinese herbals and acupuncture. I had massage therapists, nutritionists, psychologists, counseling, biofeedback. So I always had an array of additional therapeutic tools in my practice, but I myself had no specific training. But about a decade or so ago, I decided to give up obstetrics. After doing thousands and thousands of deliveries over about 25 years, it was my time to actually go to bed at night and get some sleep. And when I did, I started demanding. I don't even know exactly what came over me, but something hit me. And I felt like I didn't know, given that I no longer did deliveries, what exactly my purpose was because I looked at what I did and it seemed like all I could do was prescribe birth control pills and do surgery. And that seemed very inadequate. So I started demanding that all the pharmaceutical reps who paraded through my office in great number in those days, show me the studies that were used to get their pharmaceutical approved by the FDA. And I actually sat down for the first time in my career and I looked at every one of these drug studies and I was shocked at how little they deviated from the placebo in terms of any efficacy. And of course, at the full array of potential side effects from these drugs. 
And then when I looked at one that was for overactive bladder, and compared to the placebo, you had one, and on average, one fewer urination, one fewer void in 24 hours. And in exchange, you got the chance of having severe constipation and bloating and dementia. It's like, wait a minute. So you go to the bathroom once less in 24 hours, you're going to take this drug every day for the rest of your life that can increase your risk of dementia. So basically, I had a crisis of purpose. It's like, what the heck am I doing? Why am I prescribing these drugs? I need to do something more. So I went on a personal journey. I started taking courses just totally randomly. I had no mentors. And I ended up going to Portland, Oregon. And I just did it by searching on the internet. And I found this group of naturopaths. I didn't even know what they were. I was like, who are these people? But when I met them and I actually went to some of the courses, I liked their philosophy, which was give the body what it needs and let it heal. It just seemed so Uh, obvious. And that certainly wasn't what I was doing. So when I was there at one of the courses, there was one other doctor who was an MD. Everyone else was a naturopathic doctor. And I went up to her. She was Dr. Lodog. And I said, Dr. Lodog, you and I are the only two MDs in this entire room of naturopaths. And I am so lost. I don't have any guidance. I'm just randomly taking courses. She said, in two weeks, the fellowship in integrative medicine will begin at the University of Arizona School of Medicine. And after talking to you, I know you'd qualify. Why don't you apply? I flew home from Portland. I applied that night. And two weeks later, I was in Tucson. I did the two-year fellowship, which ended in 2012. I never looked back. I've taken so many courses since. And I actually became a board-certified medical specialty. And I was in practically the very first group that took the test to become board-certified. And I became an educator myself years and years ago. I call it the dark days of my career. I used to speak for Big Pharma and I used to promote a lot of drugs that came out because I thought that was the right thing to do. And then there was a big pause. I stopped doing that. And now I'm working to help educate the public and other doctors on ways to help women that are not just the pill to the ill because that is not getting to the root cause. So basically my philosophy now is find out what's going on, and then try to address it at the root cause while also addressing symptoms. So you're trying to help people to feel better right away, while at the same time trying to help them to be truly healthier so that they can actually move on and have what we call health spans, long lives that aren't just going downhill, right? The way a lot of people now live long, but not with quality. So that's what we call health span. So my goal is to optimize health span for every single woman that I can possibly touch. That's amazing. What a fascinating story. It sounds like you just had this epiphany and I really appreciate your honesty. I'm curious, did you get any type of backlash from any of your colleagues within the medical system? I did. For example, I learned a lot about the gut. Of course, we know in our world that the gut is central to the health of the entire body. But unfortunately, a lot of gastroenterologists and internal medicine doctors, at least when I first began, and now this is you know quite a few years ago, and I'm not sure how different it is right now either, but they did not understand how important gut health was really for the overall health of a woman. And I would see women who were on drugs called like PPIs, proton pump inhibitors, like Nexium and things like Protonics and Prilosec and so forth, Prevacid. And I would say, you know what, why are you on this drug? And often it would be, I don't know, I had heartburn 10 years ago. It's like, that's not an indication to be on this drug for a decade. So I'd say it's going to be challenging, but we can do it. And I know how, and let's try to wean you off this drug. And sometimes they would have issues where maybe some of them in the past, maybe they had an ulcer, something like that. So I really needed to know what the status of their gut was. So I would have to say, go see a gastroenterologist. You really need to have an upper endoscopy. I need to know what's going on in there. And then we'll get you off this drug. And they would go to the gastroenterologist who would say, what the heck? She is a gynecologist. How does she possibly know anything about the gut? This is a good drug. You should be on it forever and never go there again. And I would get 
so much backlash. That's just like one example. And then I would try to take people off of statins. I'd say, you know what? There's no good data for primary prevention using statins in women. And we do have good data on lifestyle, you know, and we can do so much. And even the American Medical Association and even the Heart Association, so on, they say, first do lifestyle before you give these drugs. So you never even tried lifestyle. Let's try it. And then they're internists or cardiologists would say, you should be on this statin forever. What on earth is she doing giving you lifestyle advice <laughs> you know, and things like that? So the answer is a big yes. I had a lot of backlash and it never really ends. But after a while, you just find the few people that are reasonable and you try to work with them and you try to cushion your patients against what they may hear if they go to their conventional doctor. But it's still a challenge. But you know, I've been able to insulate myself more and maybe I just have thicker skin now. Right. Well, I mean, it's really amazing that your patients had you by their side and had, you know, the best of both this allopathic medicine, but also this natural medicine as well. So thank you. Thank you for really being an advocate for lifestyle and integrative medicine. So I know that you work very closely with women who have PCOS, and I would love to start here and just really dive into this topic. And perhaps maybe we can start with breaking down the different types of PCOS. I know that there's quite a few. We hear a lot about insulin-resistant PCOS or inflammatory PCOS or PCOS and Hashimoto's. I mean, there's so many different ones. So maybe you can kind of break them down for us and we can start there. Sure. Well, when you hear PCOS, it's polycystic ovary syndrome. Whenever you hear the word syndrome, you know there's a problem. <laughs> there's a problem because it generally tends to incorporate a lot of different types of people within that spectrum of a syndrome. As well, it often means people don't know what causes it. So you never really want to have a condition that's labeled a syndrome, but it is what it is. And one of my goals has been to get to the bottom of it, like what is really the root cause of PCOS? Because isn't that what we always want to do in integrative and functional medicine? So PCOS does cover a spectrum of conditions. And at its root cause, there is always some degree of inflammation. So inflammation is really the driving force of a lot of what happens in women with PCOS. And we now know, and this came about just in the last couple of years, there was a hypothesis paper that was actually published by a friend of mine, Professor Kelton Tremellen, who's located in Adelaide in Australia. And he published a paper back in 2012 saying, I think that there is an abnormal gut microbiome in women with PCOS. And then he went through the whole thing and explained how it could develop and how you could resolve it. And nothing ever came of it. So I finally emailed him and I said, are you ever going to prove your hypothesis? And we actually started working on the project together, but we had a lot of funding problems. But meanwhile, while we were trying to prove his hypothesis, some group in China who had much better funding actually went ahead and proved it. And there have been a couple of other papers since that showed for the first time that the gut microbiome is dysbiotic. It's altered and leaky gut is prevalent in women with PCOS. And we now know that when you have a leaky gut, you're going to have increase in endotoxin produced. These toxins from within, also known as LPS or lipopolysaccharides, these cross through the impaired permeability, the impaired gut barrier, and what we call leaky gut, and gets into the, the associated lymphatic system and the, all the immune system that lines the gut and creates an explosion of inflammation. We now know that the immune cells of women with PCOS are more sensitive. It takes less to cause them to release their inflammatory products than other women. And so you have like the perfect storm. You have this inflamed dysbiotic gut, you have a leaky gut, and you have an immune system that is hyperreactive, exploding and releasing inflammation throughout the body. And then how it manifests can somewhat vary in the different women. Because almost always, and I like to think always, I'm sort of with the organization called the Androgen Excess PCOS Society. They believe that women who have PCOS should have elevation of androgens, like male type hormones. So depending on the degree of inflammation, 
and the gut dysbiosis, some women have more or less severe evidence of this hyperandrogenism. So unfortunately, many women with PCOS will experience hirsutism, like facial hair. They have to shave every day or they have to do all kinds of laser hair removal on a continuous basis. They often lose hair from the top of their head that we call alopecia, which is so discouraging. And they often have recalcitrant or very hard to treat cystic acne And because of the inflammation, they also get a lot of visceral fat. And that's the other type of PCOS is lean versus obese. So it turns out 80% of women with PCOS are overweight or obese and 20% are normal weight or thin, and we call them lean. But what we now know is that regardless of whether they're thin, overweight, or very obese, they all have in common this dysbiotic gut, the leaky gut, and the generalized inflammation, and they tend to have more visceral fat, even the thin ones. If you get a CAT scan on them as part of a study, you'll find that they have more fat around their internal organs, this visceral fat. So that's like the foundational stuff with PCOS. And then, you know, depending on what you'd like to talk about, we can talk about how we can deal with all these different manifestations, the fertility problems, the gut problems, the mood problems. We can talk all day. And of course, you'll have to tell me when time's up because this is a passion for me. PCOS, by the way, is the most common endocrine disorder of women of reproductive age. And it is so common. And yet it's so poorly diagnosed, underdiagnosed, mistreated, poorly understood. So I'm so just excited to be here to talk about it. Wonderful. Well, I feel like I'm going to give you the reins then. I love that you're so passionate about it. And I feel like there's so many different areas we can dive into here from gut health and mood and hormones overall. I mean, there's so many different areas we can address. So I'm going to let you take the reins and maybe you can dive into perhaps what you think might be the most important area to start with. Sure. So in the US, the vast majority of research involving PCOS is about fertility. So PCOS is the number one cause of fertility problems in women. And of course, there are so many women that they just want to be able to have children. They want to have a family. And so this is so emotionally painful for them that they have trouble. Women with PCOS tend to have very abnormal cycles. They do not ovulate regularly. And even when they do get pregnant, they have very high rates of miscarriage, very high rates of pregnancy complications. And it is very important that women get healthy before they try to get pregnant. And unfortunately, many women, because they're not ovulating, they have very irregular cycles, they can't get pregnant, they go right away to an IVF center. And the doctors there just say, okay, you know, we'll sign you up for IVF. They don't think about, well, this woman is 40 pounds overweight. This woman, even if she's thin, she's highly inflamed. And they don't check for autoimmune disease, which is very prevalent in women with PCOS. Also, women with PCOS have higher rates of endometriosis and uterine fibroids. They have a lot of associated problems. They also have high rates of irritable bowel syndrome and depression, anxiety, insomnia, sleep apnea. And they don't look at any of those things. They don't even look at what they're eating. They just say, okay, we'll sign you up for IVF. If they really feel they're too overweight, then what they tend to do is they put them on a starvation diet for three months and put them on diet pills, appetite suppressants. And there are a few drugs that are out there for weight loss. They do not show long-term success. They show sometimes short-term success, but you can't really be on them for the rest of your life. So as soon as you go off of them, the weight is regained. But they'll put people on these short-term plans, you know, short-term weight loss, starvation diets, and then these pharmaceuticals for, say, three months. And then they'll try to help them to lose weight and then immediately try to get them pregnant with IVF. And some of them will, some of them won't. They have the lowest success rate for IVF of all the groups that are used with IVF. But if they do get pregnant, they tend to then, like I said, they have high rates of miscarriage and very high pregnancy complication rates. The other thing is the children. We now know that children born to women who are unhealthy, who have metabolic problems, who are inflamed, the children's genes are altered. We call that epigenetic alteration or expression. So the genes are not going to function the way they should. And we know that these children tend to have more metabolic problems. They tend to be more prone to diabetes and mood problems and weight gain. 
after they're born. And there's been a study that shows that women with PCOS tend to have higher rates of children with autism. So that's the last thing we want. So for sure, we need to work on this. And then the other thing that's often used in pregnancy with women with PCOS is the pharmaceutical called metformin. Metformin is used like water with women with PCOS. The thing that nobody seems to want to talk about is that metformin is an endocrine disruptor. And the reason that we know this is because of some brilliant environmental scientists in Wisconsin who noticed that in the rivers and lakes, and there are many of them in Wisconsin, that weird things were happening to their wildlife. The fish were changing gender. The fish wouldn't reproduce. All kinds of weird behavior problems. And so one of the scientists went through all the different pharmaceuticals that they found in the lakes and rivers. And this is really frightening to think that there's all these pharmaceuticals in our rivers and lakes. That's because our water treatment programs and plants do not take out pharmaceuticals. They only kill bacteria. They were never designed for removing pharmaceuticals. So a lot of these pharmaceuticals get excreted or urinated out by the person who's taking them. And of course, some people just throw them in the trash or flush them down the toilet, the extra pills, and they end up in our lakes and rivers. And they were doing weird things. And it turned out that it was metformin. They found metformin was the one that was changing genders and doing all these weird sexual things to the wildlife. So it really became apparent, and this has been shown now in many other studies, and it's indisputable, metformin in the wildlife. And we know we have the same gene types. You know, if it's, if it's damaging the organs and such of the wildlife, it's not doing good for us. So there, it's an endocrine disruptor. The other thing is that they just had a recent study published this year that showed that when women who are pregnant take metformin through the pregnancy, that they, the women themselves, do more poorly after they have the babies metabolically and their children at age four, they found this at age one, and then they repeated it, and they found this was holding true. At age four, the children who had metformin, in the, their moms were taking metformin during their pregnancies, they were heavier. They had more body fat, and these were matched. So the same types of kids, they ended up fatter at age four. They're already metabolically altered because metformin is an endocrine disruptor. So it's altering the way their own hormones are developing and their receptors and such in these children who already have issues because their moms are not healthy. So you're adding injury to harm. So what can you say? So what we have to stop this, but it doesn't, even though this article was published, it's not stopping them. So the IVF centers are still just getting people on IVF as fast as they can without getting them healthy. Then they go to the obstetricians who are giving them the metformin through the pregnancy. This has to stop. So I want everyone to know this so that they won't put up with this, that they will get healthy first. And there are ways to help women with PCOS get healthy. And they're actually not with the pharmaceuticals. They're with lifestyle. So what I would say is most, if not all, women with PCOS tend to have insulin resistance. That's very, very prevalent. So what you want to do is the same thing you do for anyone who has insulin resistance. Don't eat sugar. Don't eat high fructose corn syrup. Don't eat foods that transform through digestion into sugar. Things like bread, processed grains, box cereals, things like that. You do not want to put them in your body. No processed food, none of these added sugars. These are poison. And remember, these are the kinds of foods that create more dysbiosis in your gut, as do high fat diets. So I know there's this ketogenic craze this is not for women with PCOS. High fat diets increase dysbiosis. So what you want is a high plant diet, not a high sugar diet, not a high fat diet, a high plant-based fiber-filled diet, because that's how you nurture your gut microbiome. You want to eat across the colors of the rainbow. You want to get those magic polyphenols into you, those magical ingredients from fruits and vegetables. And I want to say, don't be afraid of fruit. I have to make that like a new motto. People think that fruit is the same as eating high fructose corn syrup. Nothing could be further than the truth. Many fruits have amazing polyphenols and fiber, nutrients, antioxidants, like apples. So apples have a lot of quercetin. Quercetin is wonderful. It's a polyphenol that really helps reduce inflammation. 
quercetin has been shown to stabilize mast cells. Mast cells are the primary responder of the innate immune system, the immune system that responds to invaders. And that's the first cell that explodes with inflammation in the gut. When the endotoxin crosses over to the leaky gut, the mast cells explode with inflammation and call in the troops, call in all the other immune cells to then start secreting their inflammatory contents. If you can stabilize the mast cells with quercetin, you can reduce this entire cascade of inflammation. And apples have a lot of quercetin, so do onions. So we want to get it from food. Now, I give it as a supplement as well, and I've had some amazing results as well. Myo-inositol is sometimes... Oh, that's a favorite. Absolutely. And there's a lot of research now. Of course, there's small studies because who's funding them? Not Big Pharma. Right. Unless Big Pharma decides to try to, you know, modify it and turn it into a pharmaceutical, but so far, so good, because we don't want it to turn into a pharmaceutical. We want it to be the natural product. So myo-inositol is amazing for improving insulin sensitivity and also fertility. It's really, it really helps ovulation. Another supplement that is wonderful is resveratrol, which has been shown to be what we call a fasting mimetic. So a fasting mimetic means that you get the same benefits as if you fasted. Now, I actually do advocate for fasting. And that is another thing, time-restricted eating. For example, there's a study out of Israel that showed that women with PCOS who ate two-thirds of their calories for breakfast one third for lunch, that leaves nothing, but actually a little bitty dinner. (laughs) Guess what? In one month, their insulin and testosterone levels fell by about 50%. There's no drug that does that. That is amazing. When I get really motivated women, the most motivated are the ones who are getting married, the bride, and ones who want to get pregnant. Yes. Also ones who suddenly got scared because suddenly I'm telling them, you know, you're just on the edge of diabetes, that type of thing. You know, you need high levels of motivation to suddenly eat most of your calories for breakfast. And of course, it's really like breakfast is dinner, right? You're not going right. to eat, you know, what the heck are breakfast foods? You know, so it's like I say, eat your breakfast salad, eat your breakfast vegetable soup, and don't think about breakfast as anything but a time to really nourish your body. But if you do that, you actually help to regulate the circadian rhythm. And it turns out that women with PCOS have a messed up circadian rhythm. And the discoverers of the clock genes won the Nobel Prize for Medicine last year. That's how critical we now know the circadian rhythm is. And we have the master clock, which is in our brain. It sits atop the optic nerve sensing light and dark. It also gets some feedback from the nutrient sensors in the, that are located in the hypothalamus. And then we have clock genes everywhere in the body and all the different organs, including in the gut. It turns out our microbiome have clocks, those little microbes. And when you have messed up circadian rhythm, as women with PCOS do, they don't know if they're coming or going. And then when they're messed up and you have this inflammation, this altered circadian rhythm of the gut, the liver becomes messed up. And the clock genes in the liver are critical to metabolic homeostasis, to managing the entire metabolic scenario of a woman. And we know that when you have inflammation in the gut, it goes right to the liver. Then you get inflammation in the liver and inflamed liver starts producing glucose and fat uncontrollably. We call that gluconeogenesis and lipogenesis. And these fats and sugars get spewn out all through the body, creating greater havoc. So getting back to the gut again, right? If we can get the timing of food such that our gut microbiome knows what time it is based on when it's fed, because they don't know if it's light or dark. So this is the back door into regulating the clocks of the gut and the liver, which can help reestablish metabolic health. So these are so critical. And eating this large breakfast seems to really set the pace. It's like setting the clock, like the metronome, right? So it really gets us on our beat. And it does something wonderful. It starts lowering the cortisol. And so we end up getting the body's cortisol rhythm right, right? Because we know that Cortisol has a very strong circadian rhythm. And they've done some studies on women with PCOS and found that a good percentage of them have flipped circadian rhythms of their cortisol. 
they're actually low in the morning. That's where they're dragging. And then they're really high at night. So they have more energy at night. They think they're all night owls, but this is really wrecking their sleep. And we now know that basically they're living in jet lag. And there's a lot of studies on women who have jet lag for all sorts of reasons, like they work the night shift, they travel across time zones, they just simply stay up late at night. You know, that's just their pattern. They have high rates of metabolic dysfunction, diabetes, depression, and cancer. So this is not what we want, but this is what women innately have with PCOS. So by eating at timed intervals and then not eating at night, fasting at night so we can burn. That's when we need to burn fat. Right. But if we constantly eat, we're never going to burn. You can't be growing fat and burning fat at the same That's time. <laughs> you can't. It doesn't work that way. And women with PCOS are very good at growing fat and very bad at burning fat. So we have to really work hard to get their mitochondria to do the jobs that it needs to do. And so by doing fasting and doing time-restricted eating, in terms of fasting, I've started utilizing the fasting mimicking diet. Yes. You've heard of it. Yes, I have. I was actually just going to order my kit. Oh, congratulations. I've done it 13 times. I'm going to try to do this. Yes, I'm one of the early, early users. And for me, I do it for reverse aging, you know, because it does... It does wonderful things at pretty much every stage of life. You can't use it if you're too old, if you're too young, if you're too thin. I don't qualify for any of those yet. <laughs> so or if you're too frail or too ill. So most of us are qualified for it. Right. And most women with PCOS do qualify for it. You have to be at least 18 and a BMI of at least 18. So 18 to 18. And that's most of us. And it's just wonderful. So we have data on metabolic syndrome patients. So we know that it reduces inflammation, it improves insulin sensitivity, it reduces visceral fat while preserving lean body mass, it it reduces blood pressure for those who have high blood pressure, improves lipid profile for those who have abnormal profiles, and it improves mood and cognitive abilities because it increases brain-derived neurotrophic factor. In the mice, oh, they were fantastic running through their little mazes. They were so much smarter for me. I actually feel super smart on day five. So it's kind of like it jumps up 10 notches and then it kind of goes down maybe four or five, but each time it goes up 10 notches and it goes down five, you know, but you feel like you're just getting smarter the more you do it. So you've done this 13 times in a span of how long? Over three years. Over three years. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm doing it usually three to four times a year now. Right. And so I'm sure... do it more. <laughs> yes. So I'm sure that the women listening are probably wondering, okay, what is this fasting mimicking oh, diet? Okay. So it was developed at the Longevity Institute at USC, University of Southern California. So it's very academically oriented and the research has been published in the most prestigious journals like Cell and such. And Professor Walter Longo, who is a superstar, he was just named one of the top influential health arena people by Time Magazine because he's like the fasting guru. So he's, you know, like a rock star in this world. And so he and his team developed what they call a fasting mimicking diet. So it turns out that in order to really get the benefits of fasting, which include what we call autophagy, where the cells actually regenerate themselves. They actually recycle their inner components. They break them down to their like amino acids, fatty acids, and then reconfigure them into new organelles. So it's like a total rehab of healthy cells. And crappy cells, the ones that are maybe turning into cancer or senescent, old, yucky cells, they actually kill themselves. We call that programmed cell suicide or apoptosis. And there's cell rejuvenation is called autophagy. Now, this does not happen until you get at least three days into a fast. So if you fast intermittently, like every other day or twice a week, you'll lose weight and there's benefit to that, but you will not trigger these other mechanisms. So what happens is your cells die off that are crappy and organs, many of the organs in the body will actually shrink, which sounds terrible, but these are crappy cells that are going away. So the organs get smaller. But as you get further into this fasting situation and you go out to, with, if you do a water fast, it has to be four days. If you do the fasting mimicking diet, which I'll explain, it would be five days. Then you actually trigger stem cells 
So you actually rejuvenate your organs. That's why I'm doing it as anti-aging, age management. And you actually regrow new cells and you regenerate new organs, really. So they've actually shown that fatty liver, which is really very epidemic in women with PCOS, it's actually epidemic throughout our society now, it actually can help resolve fatty liver, which is amazing because if you have fatty liver, it's really hard to get metabolic health. It just doesn't work. So the liver, as soon as you have fatty liver, you have a liver that's spewing out sugars and fats. And so you're never going to get you know, insulin control and so forth. And, and you get all this inflammation. It's such a problem. So this is one of the most amazing things to help resolve fatty liver. And they've also shown this studies on fasting that it's like a reboot to the circadian clock and to the gut microbiome. You're resting your gut and you're allowing the dead crappy bacteria to be hauled away and rejuvenate with healthier bacteria. So it's like a gut reboot. It's like a circadian clock reboot. It's a liver refresher. So all these wonderful things are happening and women with PCOS really need this. We're planning to do a study in the next year actually on women with PCOS, but I've used it in my practice. So I know from my own anecdotal data, which is quite prolific, you know, that it does help women with PCOS. So the reason that they develop what they call a fasting mimicking diet is to tell people to stop eating and just drink water for four days. Right. They're not going to do it. You nope. get zero compliance. I'm not compliant. I tried it. I didn't even get through one day. Right. But yet, look, I've done 13 of the fasting mimicking diets. So the USC is entrepreneurial, like all these universities. So they created a spinoff company a new venture capital, you know, based company and they named it El Nutra and El Nutra makes this fasting mimicking diet, which was named Prolon, P-R-O-L-O-N for prolonging longevity because it came from the Longevity Institute. But there are now like over 20 studies ongoing looking at it for autoimmune disease, for dementia, they're looking at it as an adjunct for chemotherapy. So many, many things. And they working with a group in Germany and modifying it, making it a seven-day instead of a five, a seven-day fasting mimicking diet, they actually saw regrowth of the myelin sheath, which is the surrounding cover of nerves in multiple sclerosis patients. And in the mouse model, in the mouse model of multiple sclerosis, they actually resolved reversed it, multiple sclerosis. They've actually had beta cells of the pancreas that you would have die off from autoimmune attacks, attacks with type 1 diabetes. They've actually regenerated beta cells in the pancreas. And I can tell you that myself, using my using time-restricted eating, eating a healthy gluten-free diet, and doing prolon, I have reversed my own Hashimoto's. You just um, told me you have autoimmune. Yes, that's right. I, I do have Hashimoto's. So, yeah. Well, I reversed mine, and there's actually some studies now looking at it because you know we like to get studies published. But anecdotally, I'm an N of one, but I've had other patients as well. So, and of course, I never do one thing, right? I don't do one thing. So, I, I did all these other things too. You know, I of did course. guided imagery, and then I went gluten free. So. It's hard to say that it's one thing, but that's right. in, in a way that functional medicine. We don't do one thing, right? right? We always do multiple things because, you know, we look at all aspects of health. But I think that this is amazing for its potential. And of course, I've had people lose a lot of weight. It's not marketed for weight loss, but right. you know what? The thing that's nice about it is that instead of lowering your metabolic rate, which is what if most diets do. That's why they all fail. You know, there's like a 2% success rate with all these dietary programs to lose weight because they lower your caloric intake over a long period of time, your metabolic set point drops. So right. you actually, in order to maintain your weight, you have to eat fewer and fewer calories and people can't do that. They can't sustain that. They right. can't live hungry their whole life. I couldn't even get through one day of not eating. So there <laughs> you have it. So what happens when you do prolon is that you actually eat this five-day fasting mimicking diet, and then you eat normally all the other days. And so you're not actually lowering your metabolic rate. In fact, you're raising your metabolic rate. You're actually getting more the burn. You're actually causing mitochondrial regeneration. So you're getting booting up your mitochondria, not 
lowering everything down. So your body is in sort of a starvation mode and you're sort of lowering your metabolic rate. And when you do the prolon, you get to eat not a lot of food, but enough to get you through for the five days. You get the nut bar and then you get a soup for lunch and a soup for dinner. And then you get these, I call them doodads. Depending on the day, you get kale crackers or olives or a cocoa crisp, which is my favorite. Right. and a glycerol drink. So you get a bunch of different things that help you get through. But it's amazing how different it is when you have some food versus no food. No food. Yeah, absolutely. And you get three meals a day. And, and Professor Longo, being from Italy, he spends half his year teaching in Italy and half his year at USC. He wanted a Mediterranean type of a diet, you know, where you sit right? down and actually have food with your friends and your family. So he would not make it a shake. He said, no way, we're not doing shakes. We're doing real food, but it's real food that I call stealth food because it flies under the radar of nutrient sensors in your body so that your body thinks you're fasting and you get the pleasure and benefits of eating. So, and I think for women with PCOS and also women in menopause, actually, you know, they are another whole group that is really suffering because women, it's just not appreciated all the things that women have to endure when they go through menopause. And actually, it's very similar in a lot of ways to what the metabolic dysfunctions of PCOS. And that's why a lot of the same supplements can benefit both of them. Right. Okay. Wow. You just shared so much amazing information there. I know that the women listening are probably excited to hear more about Prolon. It's funny. I was just about to go order my kit. So I will definitely share the link for that in our show notes because I know everybody will be asking. So I'd love to chat about lifestyle intervention when it comes to PCOS. Actually, maybe before we even get into lifestyle, I think an important area to cover might be lab testing. What is some lab testing for women to be asking their doctors or practitioners so they can really get the proper diagnosis for PCOS? Great question. So I use a lot of the labs through the Cleveland Heart Lab, which was spawned out of the Cleveland Clinic, and they have some amazing inflammatory markers. So I mentioned that women with PCOS tend to have a lot of inflammation and we really want to see their status because one of the things that I feel very strongly about is that you cannot monitor someone if you never measure anything, right? Right. So I do love to get lab tests. So I always get things like MPO, myeloperoxidase, and that is an enzyme. Anything that ends in ACE is an enzyme and Milo is white. It's an enzyme made by white blood cells. And it's designed to help the immune system fight off invaders. The problem is that women with PCOS, their immune cells put out these enzymes that dissolve stuff, you know, that's really designed to dissolve like invading parasites and invading bacteria, but they put it out inappropriately because they're just overly stimulated and it it takes less to trigger these things. So there's studies published that women with PCOS tend to have higher levels of MPO, myeloproxidase. So I want to see where their levels are. And then especially if it's a little bit older woman, say in the late 30s or beyond, I definitely want to look at her level of plaque. So I get a plaque test, LA2, and that is very important for looking at what's going on within the artery wall itself you know, if they're getting inflammatory processes going on in there. And then I like to get F2 isoprostane, and that is an actual measure of lipid peroxides. So it's like oxidative stress involving lipids. Like, so you're having like rancid lipids in your body. And that's a test that you can measure. It's often reflective of the kind of diet someone's eating. So you can't hide anything from me. I will, (laughs) I'll get a test. I will know the truth. So you might as well tell me because I'm going to figure it out. And then I like to get microalbumin, which looks at leaky arteries. So you can see little bits of protein coming out in the urine if it leaks out of the artery. So it's not a measure of kidney health. It's a measure of arterial health. And we know that women with PCOS tend to have very low levels of nitric oxide, which is a very important signaling agent and antioxidant gas. And one of the indirect measures of that is another lab test called ADMA. So if you have high levels of ADMA, it shows that you have inflammation and low levels of nitric oxide. 
And nitric oxide is very important to prevent things like preeclampsia, these pregnancy-related complications. So we definitely want to get these labs, not just for you know, random of how you're doing, but it really is practical in terms of looking at who's at risk to develop these pregnancy complications. And then, of course, we can take real steps to reduce that risk. So anyway, I get all these different inflammatory markers. I also get the standard one, the high-sensitivity C-reactive protein. protein right. And then I get the hormones, of course. So women right. with PCOS tend to have higher levels of androgens. So I'm going to get total testosterone. I'm going to measure the androgen from the adrenal, dehydroepiandrosterone sulfate, DHEA sulfate. Okay, so that one is for sure. So we definitely want to get those. And then we want to get an estradiol level. Now, estrogen is produced in the form of estradiol by the ovaries. And women with PCOS tend to have low levels of estradiol. A lot of people talk about PCOS as estrogen dominance. And I really want to throw that in the trash can. Because women with PCOS, I guess you can say it's estrogen dominance if you consider that they don't ovulate, so they don't make progesterone. So you have more estrogen versus progesterone. But when people say estrogen dominance, it makes it sound like they're making too much estrogen. And that's not true. They actually make too little estrogen. That's actually one of their problems. And so, of course, I want to get an estradiol level. And then I get an LH, which is luteinizing hormone, and an FSH, follicle-stimulating hormone. And in many women with PCOS, they have high levels of LH and low levels of FSH. And that's reflective of making high levels of testosterone, not aromatizing the testosterone into estradiol properly in the ovary, which is why they don't have enough estradiol. So all estrogen comes from androgens. So testosterone is a precursor of estradiol. Right. And the ovary has certain cells, thecolutein cells, that make testosterone. And then the testosterone passes over into the granulosa cells where they're aromatized. That's an enzyme that does cause aromatization. And it turns testosterone into estradiol. And FSH controls that. FSH is low. It's a problem. There's problems with the FSH receptor. It's not working properly. And so you're not aromatizing properly. So the brain says, where's my estrogen? So it keeps pumping out more LH to make more testosterone, but it's not being converted. So you end up with this overabundance of testosterone and an underabundance of estradiol. So that, of course, is the trigger to massive inflammation as well, having such high levels of testosterone. And that, in turn, lowers your sex hormone binding globulin. So it just makes everything else even that much more messed up. I mean, the whole thing becomes a disaster for women with PCOS. But that's why we have to get on it. The earlier, the better. So what we can do, of course, is help with the gut. If we lower inflammation and we lower the production of insulin and IGF-1. So IGF-1 is stimulated to be produced. That's another hormone, insulin-like growth factor one. That triggers even more testosterone. So we really want to work with the gut. And down the road, I'd love to get some studies going on this, is to give women with PCOS bioidentical hormones for maybe a year in a rhythmic format. Because if we get enough estradiol, guess what? Then we can trigger the brain to shutting down all that LH production, which will then lower the testosterone production, which will shut down this sort of cascade of trouble that women with PCOS are enduring. But birth control pills are used rampantly, and they do help with some of the symptoms. The problem with birth control pills is that there's no hormones in a birth control pill. They're actually endocrine disruptors. And if you went to the toxicology website of the National Institutes of Health, which is all government supported, you will find that every ingredient in a birth control pill is labeled as an endocrine disruptor. So what else do they do that's problematic? They alter the gut microbiome, but not for the better, for the worse. And they actually increase the incidence of autoimmune disease, which women with PCOS already have an increased risk. Right. So it's like catastrophe. So we, this is proven. There's articles published legitimate by mainstream researchers that show that birth control pills increase the incidence of a whole slew of autoimmune diseases in women by altering the gut microbiome. The birth control pills also alter the circadian rhythm 
which is already messed up in women with PCOS. And birth control pills lower the production of nitric oxide, which is this critical antioxidant gas that is necessary for arterial health and pregnancy health and brain health. And so it's lowering that. So what the heck are we doing giving something? And also women with PCOS have thrombophilia. Women with PCOS are more prone to getting blood clots. Birth control pills increase the risk of blood clots. There's published articles now, just in the last year, that show that women who take birth control pills with PCOS have a much higher rate of developing a blood clot. This is not acceptable. We have to stop this. You know, it's like, stop the craziness. Why are we giving a drug that increases all these problems? And we know birth control pills, they don't give them to smokers because it increases risk of heart attack and stroke. When would PCOS already have higher risks of heart attack and stroke? And why is it that birth control pills are harmful to smokers? Because it lowers nitric oxide and increases blood clotting. Right. Well, come on, wake up, everybody. Absolutely. <laughs> oh my God, this is so great. And I I speak so much about the birth control pill in my practice and with so many of the clients I work with too. And it's such an area that I think women need to become more educated on because we're just taking the pill to treat these symptoms, but not really understanding the depth that it can have on our hormonal and metabolic health as well. So Absolutely. So my analogy is that you have a wall and it's filled with mold and termites, but we don't really want to address it because that takes a lot of work and money. So we're just going to get some nice, heavy duty, pretty wallpaper and just cover it up. But the day of reckoning will come. And that's what I tell yes. women with PCOS. If you go on birth control pills now, the day of reckoning will come because you're not healing anything, really. You may cover up some symptoms. It looks pretty for the moment, but the termites and the mold are still there. You know, what a great analogy. That would make people feel like they have termites and mold. But we've definitely got to address what's really going on. And you know, it's bad enough if you just cover up the problem. It's another thing when your cover-up is actually adding to the harm. Right, right. Yes, that's a great analogy. I love that. Okay, so I'm sure many of the women who are listening, especially women who have PCOS, are thinking, okay, so many things I have to do here. First, I got to get all the right testing. And then in terms of lifestyle intervention, what are some steps that they can take there to really support PCOS? Okay, so we'll start really simply so people don't feel overwhelmed. Okay. Number one, eat real food. Go vegan. If you can go vegan for even three months, that will help. When you have a dysbiotic, an abnormal gut microbiome, you cannot properly process animal. The animal is turned in the mouth. It can be turned into what are called nitrosoamines, which are carcinogens, and then the gut into TMAO, which is also toxic for the heart. So you need to have the right gut microbiome. So we've got to nurture the gut microbiome. That's where we're going to focus. So eat real food and eat vegan. If you're not willing to go vegan, eat very little animal, no more than one small serving a day. And eat across the color of the rainbow, eat unlimited amounts of vegetables, lots of root vegetables. People were told, oh, don't eat that. It's starchy. Well, now we understand it's the starch that feeds the microbes. So we want that starch. (laughs) Please eat those. These are unprocessed fruits and vegetables, right? You're not eating anything that's gone through a factory. These have no plastic around them. These are just real from the earth, fruits and vegetables. Eat a big breakfast. Try not to snack. Try to finish eating by 7 p.m. If you can do those few things, eat real food, And by the way, eat all kinds of fiber foods. So I'm not an anti-grain person, as long as they're whole grain and organic. So things like quinoa and millet and corn and buckwheat. By the way, buckwheat is a source of myo-inositol. It actually, eating buckwheat, like not buckwheat pancakes, please. We're talking about buckwheat (laughs) cooked like a cereal in a bowl. Eating buckwheat will lower your blood sugar. In fact, their studies show that people who ate a 70% carb diet, 70% carb, now these are all unprocessed carbs. This is whole grains, root vegetables, other vegetables, beans, and lentils. So it's almost all these, it's a real vegan diet, all vegan with tons of these vegetables, legumes, grains, a little bit of nuts and seeds in one month they completely reverse even early stage diabetes. One month. That's how anti 
glucose these are. These are low glycemic foods. So we've got to stop maligning foods that are good for us. Like we used to malign fat. Now we malign carbs. You know, it's not all the same. But if you eat these high fiber types of carbs that are very slowly digested, they do not release sugar. They're really, really food for our microbes. You will have amazing benefits. So if you eat vegan, you eat lots of vegetables. What's the goal? I know this is a lot, but nine to 12 cups of vegetables a day and see how you tolerate them. If you have bloating and gas, then cook them. Do more of the Ayurvedic gentle way, you know, right. where you cook all your vegetables, you make them soft, you know, you cook them with the vegetables, with the beans and the lentils, you mix them all together and you use lots of spices right? Spices are amazing. They kill the bad bacteria. I mean, there was reason that ancient people knew that spices were good, right? They intuitively knew. And that's what we need to get back to that. If you can tolerate it, try to eat half your vegetables raw because then you get the enzymes from them. But do the best you can and go gently and try not to snack, like I said. But if you absolutely must snack, make it like olives or some avocado, a little bit of fat. Don't eat protein. And remember, think about protein is proliferative. If you're a PCOS, you're already proliferating. You do not want more proliferation. So you don't want to eat a lot of animal protein. That's why I say start vegan. So if you can try to go to bed by 10 o'clock, and I didn't mention this, take melatonin if you have trouble sleeping. There are actually melatonin receptors in the ovaries. Melatonin helps to regulate ovulation. And there's problems with PCOS women and melatonin. So I always start with a little bit, like a half to one milligram, a couple of hours or three to four hours before you go to bed. You can experiment. That sort of sets the tone. It's like seeing the sunset, which is very good. You should see the sunset. The colors of the sunset help to prep your body for sleep. Do not watch television or go on the computer for at least two hours before you go to bed. That blue light is horrendous for your melatonin and will push up your cortisol, which you already have problems with. Don't do it. And go to bed between 10 and 11, make your room cool and dark. I sleep with a sleep mask. And then what you do is in the morning, take it off for 15 minutes before you open your eyes. Let the light filter through your eyelids. That is the best way to get going in the morning. So you have to sort of time that so you can like let about 15 minutes go by where you just have the eyelids just filtering the light and take off your sleep mask. And then try to get bright, bright light in the morning. And even if you do nothing else, just doing what I said, which is not a little, that's a lot, you will find so much improvement in all of your parameters. Your testosterone is going to go down. Your skin is going to get better. Your mood is going to get better. You'll sleep better. You'll feel better. You'll have more energy just by doing those lifestyle maneuvers, you might say. Yes. Yeah. That sounds wonderful. And I myself with, you know, all my PCOS clients, I definitely take the snacking out. Anybody that has any type of sort of metabolic disorder, I just think across the board, taking the snacking out is so key and really allowing the body to give it time to digest and break down your food. I always say that we're so used to that feeling of Full, that we never really know what it feels like to feel empty anymore. And it's not a bad thing. And so it's not that we're trying to starve ourselves or be hungry, but it's just really having more balanced meals and cutting the snacking out. So I really love those tips. And it's interesting because as somebody with autoimmune, I follow more of the principles of the AIP, the autoimmune paleo protocol. So I do include protein and moderate amounts of fat, but definitely a lot of vegetables. And I'd say that if there's anything that my clients always report back, it's like, you have me eating so many vegetables. (laughs) It's like, yeah, you need the fiber. That's what's going to help keep you full. And absolutely, it helps to support the gut microbiome. So those are some wonderful strategies. And I definitely can't live without my melatonin. So thank you so much for throwing (laughs) that tip in there. I love that. So thank you so much. And I know that you do have a PCOS book that's coming out. Tell us more details about that. Well, I'm so excited. It will be coming out. I think it will be in January. It was supposed to be earlier, but you know how these things go. But I think it will be out in January and it's called PCOS SOS. So that's the main title. And then underneath it's a gynecologist lifeline to naturally restore rhythms, hormones, and happiness. But if Um, you remember PCOS SOS, that will get you there. It should be for sale probably in the next month. Pre-sales will be available on Amazon. And if you go to my website, you can sign up and I'll remind you. And that is my name with my middle initial. So it's FeliceLGershMD.com. 
Wonderful. Well, I'm so excited to get my hands on your book when it comes out in January. We will be sure to link all of this up in our show notes, as well as the link to your website. And thank you so much for being with us today and sharing your incredible, incredible knowledge. Thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. My pleasure. All right. Hope you guys enjoyed that episode with Dr. Gersh. She is amazing. I loved her honesty and being open about sharing her story with her transition from really the medical field into the integrative and functional medicine field. And it's always so great being able to hear stories like that and the honesty from medical doctors. And it's crazy that the challenges they face as well as the backlash. And so her PCOS SOS book will be available in early 2019. So keep your eyes out for that. And to grab any of today's show notes and to access Felice Gersh online and where she's hanging out, you can head on over to holisticwellness.ca forward slash episode 37 and grab all of today's show notes and the links and the URLs there. Thanks so much, everybody, for tuning in. Come hang out with me over on Instagram at Holistic Wellness Foodie, and I'll chat with you guys next week. Take care.